I need that epic sound every time I get on the stage, right? Boom, boom. It is an epic story. It's a powerful story that we're digging into in this Easter season, right? And, um, and uh, we're in the book of Luke. If you're new, if you've just come in and maybe join us on this, on this journey, for us in New Hope, this year is the year in the Word. And just so you guys know, um, here, at, here at the church, um, it's not just going to be a year in the Word. Like, we're going to preach like this for here on out. Is that okay? If we just keep going through God's Word, we're going through books of the Bible, we're going to keep doing that. And so we're now in the book of Luke, was written by this guy by the name of Luke, all right? So Luke wrote it, and, um, but Luke also wrote another book in the New Testament, and he wrote the book of Acts, okay? Which is the whole story of the Holy Spirit coming, of the church, and everything starting for what we get to experience today. And so we're going to go from Luke, the end, into that, and Easter, and then we're going to go into the book of Acts, which is the continuation of the story, okay? So that's how we're kind of doing that together. If you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to go ahead and open them up right now. We are going to be in Luke chapter 23, all right? Last week we were in 22. We're going to keep the story going into verse 23 as we're looking at what happened to Jesus as he was led then to the cross and ultimately uh, to life again in the empty tomb. All right, that's what we're journeying towards uh, as a church. Now, uh, those of you who have been here for a while know that we have started to create these, which is our series guides. So every sermon series we do, we're going to give you a guide to help you on the journey together. And, And with that, we create a devotional, and we use this method here called SOAP because we're cleaning our souls, right? No, that's not what it is. It's, it's a scripture, observation, application, and prayer. And so each day you can take 10, 15, 20 minutes and spend time in God's Word and just do that, walk through that process. And on the back, we have just a small devotional leading us to Easter and then the reading plan. So you can read and join us in the story each week leading up to that weekend. Um, so I encourage you, grab that. On the bottom, again, what do we have at the bottom? It's our memory verse, all right? We want you to be memorizing God's Word, to, to hide it in your heart and in your mind so that when God wants to bring it back, it's already there. Right? He reminds us as we hide God's Word in our heart what He has taught us. And so how many of you have been doing that? Anybody got the verses memorized, or at least one of them? Oh, no. Okay, a few of you. All right, I'm getting the star sticker chart out because they're not being motivated. All right, so next Sunday, you're going to memorize it. We're going to put a star sticker. All your names will be on it. You put a sticker on it when you get it. I'm just kidding. That's how you get to heaven, maybe. I don't know. Um, y'all, I'm being sarcastic, all right? So, like, I'm just trying to get your attention. So, are we all together? Yeah, all right, cool, cool. So, but, but the one verse is Luke 19, 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Can you all say that with me? Let's try it. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Who did he come for? The lost. That's who he showed. He didn't come to those who were healthy and well He came to those who were sick and dying, those who were lost in their sins. That's why Jesus came. And and we get to the point where we see actually on the other side is the other memory verse, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. He was telling the disciples this and that it was going to happen the whole time he was with them, but they didn't get it, right? That's what we talked about last week. Last week we were in chapter uh, 22 of Luke and we were storying through the Last Supper and, uh, and as the disciples went in the upper room, they partook in Passover, the Passover meal that Jews would do in that season. And we, we learned about the power of what, what Jesus did, and he reset up something new as they drank from these four separate cups during Passover. Each cup represented a promise back, way back in Exodus chapter 6, when, when the Jews were set free from Pharaoh in the land of Egypt from slavery. And these four promises they drink from each one of the cups throughout the evening 
thanking God for those promises. Jesus stopped at the third cup, the cup of redemption. And he said, now the old covenant, that's the old covenant. I'm putting in a new covenant in my blood, is what he said. He was making a new way for everyone to have a relationship with God. And then he said, I'm not going to drink from this fruit until we do it together. When he returns, that's the last banquet uh, supper of the, the Lamb that we will be joined with in heaven with him. Woo! We can celebrate that. That's the cup of praise, the cup of hallelujah, the cup of fulfillment. And so we talked about last week, we had a powerful moment in communion because that's what we talked about last Sunday. If you missed last Sunday, uh, I would encourage you to go back and watch the message and, and go back and then go on this journey together because uh, who was here last week? Was that not powerful? I mean, it was a powerful moment just with God, just to be reminded of what Christ was setting up. Now today, typically, you know, historically and, uh, and those kind of things, churches would celebrate today as Palm Sunday, right? And Palm Sunday is the celebration where Jesus entered into Jerusalem. Everybody's excited, and they put palms on the ground, and woohoo, you know, the, the king is here and all that kind of stuff. So that was normally, you know, what would happen on this Sunday leading up. We're not doing that, okay? So that's why we're digging into 22, 23, and 24. We're going on a different journey together leading towards the resurrection. And today we're actually going to see what was happening in this moment after the Last Supper, after he was betrayed. And, uh, and we're going to actually look at a specific character that sometimes we miss in this whole story, okay? Um, so, so we'll get there in just a couple of minutes as we do that. Um, but, but before we do that, like you guys always know, I like to kind of get our, our brains thinking in a certain way and kind of use an illustration to, to get us all on the same page together. And, and so I want to take us on a trip, okay, on a journey. Uh, I want to imagine that uh, we're all going to hop on a bus together, and that bus is going to take us to the airport. That airport, we're going to get into a plane, and it's going to fly us to the middle of Africa. I don't know if you've ever traveled like that, but once you land in Africa, you realize really quick, this is a little different than Worcester, Ohio. And, uh, and I'm going to take you not just to a populated place. We're going to go out into a village in the middle of nowhere. So, so that's where we're at. Let's all imagine we're there together. And in this village, we're, we're, you know, we're kind of excited. What is it going to be like? What's, what's going to... And we realize in this village, everybody who lives in this tiny village lives in huts made out of mud with mud floors with no doors and no glass in the windows and Everybody kind of knows everybody else's stuff of, of what's going on in the, in the whole community. And you're thinking, okay, where are we sleeping? Where's the hotel? It's like, oh, there's no hotel. You're on the floor with that family. You're on the floor with that family. And we all sleep together. That's how it works in this village. You're thinking, okay, we'll see how that works, how that's going to go. Oh, and by the way, there's mosquitoes. Those mosquitoes, they just might give you a disease. What? Don't worry about it. So, so you spend the night there, and you cannot sleep all night long because you're worried about these mosquitoes are going to give you malaria. And so you don't have a net, though, because they didn't have nets for you. You sleep a little bit, and you wake up the next morning, you're a little bit groggy, and you're like, okay, now we're going to figure out, you know, what are we doing today? And, and you're there just to live like one of the locals. They say, so what's for breakfast? And, oh, what's breakfast? We don't eat breakfast. Well, when do you eat? Well, we only have one meal a day, and, and today it's going to be this. It's like, oh, okay, and tomorrow it's going to be the same thing. The next day, going to be the same meal, and it's just going to be that one. And the next day, it's going to be that same meal the next day, by the way. Um, so I hope you get to like this meal, because this is all we have, and this is what we eat every day in our tribe. And then you start realizing it's really hot, and I'm really thirsty, and I don't have any water. And they say, oh yeah, we could take you to go get a drink, and they take you down to this stream that's flowing in the middle of nowhere, and they say, that's, that's where we all drink, and that's where we bathe, and that's, this is our water. 
and you can't even see the bottom at all, and it's muddy, and, it's, and it looks pretty gross. And I said, but this is what we drink, and you really have no other option. So they give you a cup, and you, you just drink from that water, not realizing that your stomach wasn't ready for what else was in that water, and so something else starts to happen. Your stomach gets a little unsettled, and you're wondering, is there Pepto-Bismol anywhere because something's about to happen, Right? say, so, uh-oh, where's the bathroom? Oh, we'll take you to the bathroom. And they just take you to the back of the village and say, there's a big hole right there. That's where all of us go. And so now you can't drink the water, and now you have to go where everybody else goes, and there's no privacy. And you are messed up. Now, I want you to have a picture in your mind because that is the way millions of people live every day. That's their existence. That's how they live. That's just normal for them. And for us, when we come from this little part of Wayne County and we go into that world, it would shake us up, wouldn't it? Because there's things that when we don't realize that we just do every single day, that this, this is just life and this is what we have, that we take so much for granted of what we've been given and how actually blessed we are. Because over there, there is no clean water. For Pete's sake, you come back to your house and you probably have four or five faucets that run clean water. And in your house... When you have to go to the bathroom, there's a door on the wall, <laughs> and there's this cool white thing. Maybe it's white in your house. It's white in our house that you can just sit on, and there's this magic button that makes it all disappear, right? And some of you need a fan, and some of you need a big fan, right? So, like, but there's no fan out in the wild. It just sits there. See, we take, we take things for granted, don't we? Just things that we just have, things that we, this is just normal. And why am I even talking about this? How does this connect with Easter? What we're talking, I want us to get in our mind that there are things in our own just day-to-day life that we take for granted in a big way. It's the same way spiritually, though, too, for all of us. There are things in our spiritual life that each day we actually can take for granted unless we truly understood the picture of the gift we've been given. And as we walk towards this journey to Easter, to a big celebration, we're going to jump into a story that helps us, that I'm hoping will help us have such a thankful heart that we, that we would be moved in such a way that when we leave here, we would not take for granted what we've been given as we walk through this Easter story. Okay? Does that make sense? And so we're going to hop into the story. All right. Is everybody ready to hop in the story? If you are, say, Yep. All right, let's hop into the story. So last week we did Luke 22, and I'm going to wrap up Luke 22 in about uh, 30 seconds, okay? Because we know Jesus was at, at the Last Supper, and then they went, and they were in the garden. Judas, we read last week, Judas, Satan entered into Judas, one of the 12, and then used him to set up the plot for Jesus' arrest. So Judas goes to the Pharisees or to the religious leaders, and, and he goes to them saying, I know where Jesus is, and I know you're looking for him. And they pay him money. And then he leads them to the garden where Jesus is and where Jesus is praying. And, and he goes up to Jesus and he kisses him on the cheek. It's the kiss of betrayal. And all of a sudden, all of them come and they're there to arrest Jesus. And uh, something crazy happens and, and Peter's like, you can't take him. And he like tries to get a knife out and cuts a guy's ear off. And Jesus is like, simmer down, Peter. Like it. So Jesus has to heal a guy, the guy that's actually arresting him. What? What do you do with that? Jesus is healing the guy that is starting the process of him going to the cross. Man, I don't know if I could have done that. But Jesus knew exactly what was going on. And so they take Jesus away. The disciples are confused and they kind of scatter and go all over the place because now they're afraid about what's going to happen to them. 
And Jesus is taking first, and we know this because of the book of John adds this part of the story, that they then take him to the house of Annas, who is one of the religious leaders. And they start this whole trial process, trying to get this Jesus and get rid of him is the goal. And so we're going to see in the story, Jesus, as he goes on this journey, heading towards the cross, he actually goes through six different trials. And in every single trial, we're going to see something that happens in every single one of them. So in the house of Anas, they, they then take him to the house of um, Caiaphas. See, Caiaphas, when, when they take him to him, Caiaphas is like the head Sadducee. And you're like, what's that mean? He's like the head priest overall. Like he's the, the guy who is the guy. And, um, and so they're bringing him, and this is like early in the morning, like three, two, three in the morning, right? They're bringing them from house to house to do trial after trial, trying to figure out what are we going to do with this Jesus? We just arrested him. How can we get rid of him? And what is this going to mean? So uh, let me explain then in this house of, of Caiaphas. So Caiaphas, he's, he's the head Sadducee. And you're like, some of you are like, what's the difference between like a Pharisee and a Sadducee? See, um, Pharisees, they were the religious leaders whose main responsibility was keeping the religious law and making sure that the Jews kept the law according to the law of Moses and all the laws that they created. So they were more of the religious leadership over the Jews. The Sadducees were leaders, but they were not just the religious leaders. They now took it to another level because they became kind of the judicial leaders as well. They're the ones that ran the court for the Jews. So if anything bubbled up through the Jewish um, culture, it would come to the Sadducee. So they're the ones that did the religious, but they did the, the political and the judicial. So they're like in charge of who's in charge. And that's who Caiaphas is. That's his house. So now it's really in the morning, and they finally get to the point where, like, what are we going to do with Jesus? And they take him to, then to the Sanhedrin. So the Sanhedrin is the court. It's where all the religious leaders gather together to place judgment and to rule and all that kind of stuff. So they take him to the Sanhedrin, and now they're trying to figure out, what are we going to do with this Jesus? We've got to get rid of him. They wanted to get rid of this Jesus because Jesus was upsetting their whole system. They were feeling attacked. They were feeling unsafe. All the things that they put into place— uh, they had the Mosaic law, but then they had law on top of law on top of law that they created that didn't have anything to do with God. And they had this whole religious system that Jesus was saying, that's not the kingdom of heaven. I've come to bring the kingdom of heaven. They see this Jesus as a threat to them and their way of life and their religion and their God. Some, now when you see the tension that's happening with the Jewish leaders, some of them were thinking maybe this guy is the Messiah. You know, we see conversations in the Gospels about like Nicodemus, who was a priest, and he came and he's like questioning and he's wrestling with, is he the Messiah? Because he's seeing things he can't explain, right? And so you have these Jews that are going back and forth, but in this scene right now, the crowd was growing against Jesus as they continued to try to bring accusation after accusation. The thing is, though, in the Sanhedrin, they did not have the right or the rule to take anybody to or to be crucified. Okay? They didn't have that authority. That had to go to Rome because Rome was the, the ones that actually did all the crucifixions. And the only way you could get crucified and go through that process in the judicial system of Rome, the only people that that would happen to are, one, anybody who was a non, uh, non-Roman. So you couldn't be a Roman citizen. So you'd be a non-Roman and you either did one of two things. One, you tried to bring a revolt against Rome or against Caesar, against the nation, or you murdered someone. Those are the two reasons that you would be then taken to that final judgment and sentenced to death, okay? And so now here's Jesus. He's not Roman. He's a Jew. 
And, uh, and they're trying to, what can we do? How can we make him get to the point where they will then take it to this next step? Because that's what we want. We got to get rid of this guy. The goal was kill the leader, you kill the movement. And in history, you'll see, actually, if you study history and religious history, there were people who actually did that. There were false prophets, false leaders that come up and say, I'm the Messiah, and blah, 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 and they'd, they'd get a little bit of a following, and then, and then Rome would find out, and then boom, and then they would kill that person, and that following just kind of disappeared. Like, that happened. And so as they're bringing Jesus, they're hoping that will happen again, that, that this Jesus and the movement will die. But we know that's not what happened, right? Hindsight's twenty twenty for us. So that was their goal. And so we get now into chapter 23. We see this now playing out because it goes from the Sanhedrin. Three trials that were with the religious leaders. Now they're moving to the public and political trial of this person by the name of Jesus. All right. Is everybody with me? Okay. So verse 1 of chapter 23. Then the entire assembly of them, all these Jewish leaders and all these Jews, uh, set out and brought Jesus, brought him to Pilate. And they began to bring charges against him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to pay taxes to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ the king. So they bring Jesus to Pilate. Pilate is the governmental ruler of that area, okay? He's the one that would be making the judgments, making the decisions. So they bring him to this guy, Pilate, and they're trying to figure out what can we say to get him to the death penalty? What, like, what can we say? And so they bring these accusations to Pilate against Jesus. And the first one is, we found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us. Oh, first off, misleading our nation, right? So he's, they're trying to get him like, he's revolting against Rome, right? He's, so this is, he should be killed, right? But the reality is, was he doing that? No. That was a false accusation. He was not trying to revolt against any nation. He was preaching God's nation coming but he wasn't revolting against. And they said, misleaders, and forbidding us to pay taxes to Caesar. Was that a lie? Yes, if you, if you read the Gospels, you see actually Jesus tells the disciples, like, no, 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 you're supposed to pay taxes. Give Caesar what is Caesar's, give the Lord what is the Lord's. So he actually did quite the opposite of that in his teaching to his people. So lie number two, just so you know, in the story, the person that's lying is usually the bad guy. Right? So here's a word of advice. Don't be the liar in the story. There you go. And, and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. Yeah, that accusation was actually true. Jesus did say he's the Christ, that he is a king. But that one, that's not a revolt. That's not murder. That's not, that's just him saying something, Right? And so we're going to see now how Pilate responds. So, so Pilate, now Pilate asks him, saying, So you are the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered him and said, It is as you say. Whoa. <laughs> so they're saying, he's saying he's a king. He's asking him the question, So are you the king of the Jews? Like, I, that's the way I hear the question when he asks it, because like, here's all the Jews saying, We want to get rid of him. But they're also saying, You're proclaiming a king. Are you that king? Are you the king of all the Jews and Jesus, that one is true. He's like, yes, it is as you say. But Pilate said to the chief priests and the crowds, I find no grounds for charges in the case of this man. But they kept on insisting, saying, he is stirring up the people, teaching all over Judea, starting from Galilee, as far as this place. It's like, but you don't understand. Like, he keeps doing this. He's like, he's making everybody unsettled. He's, he's just talking and talking and talking. Like, he's going all over the place. 
You don't understand. So they keep trying to like argue with Pilate. Now, now you're going to see here in a moment, Pilate gets it stuck in a bad position as the leader. Actually, in this, you read in one of the other gospels, it says, um, we get this other tidbit of the story that, that Pilate's wife actually comes to Pilate and says, you need to have nothing to do with this guy. I had horrible dreams all night about this guy. You should leave him alone. So like Pilate now is, is stuck between his wife who's saying don't do anything now he's stuck between all these jews that are crowd and it's growing and growing and they're saying no, no no do this do this and he's stuck now with jesus who says yeah i am hey like what a horrible position to be put in but that's where Pilate is this is where he is at in the story he thinks he has an out he says oh this guy's from galilee as far as this place is oh now when Pilate heard this he asked whether the man was a galilean He says, and when he learned that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod since he also was in Jerusalem at the time. So Pilate now is thinking, whoo, I'm going to get out of this one. (laughs) Like, this is a mess. And these people are yelling at me and he's saying this, but I can't do anything about it. Like, let's send him to Herod. He's a Galilean. Oh, that's Herod. So Herod is over the Galilean area, right? And he happened to be in Jerusalem. Not happened to be. God foreordained all this stuff. But he is in Jerusalem. And so he says, let's send him to Herod and let Herod make this judgment and let him hear about what they're saying and all that kind of stuff. Now, this Herod that he's going to, this is the same Herod that you read back in the, in the story. This is the same Herod that had John the Baptist arrested. Herod was known for parties, hanging out. He had a party. He got seduced and enticed by a young woman who said, um, I want John the Baptist's head on a platter. And because he told her, I'll give you whatever you want, she must have been a good dancer. He says, that's what he did. And so he went and he arrested John the Baptist. John the Baptist was the one that was preparing the way for the Messiah. He was the one that I was preaching ahead of Jesus starting his ministry. And this was ultimately the Herod that, that beheaded John. Jesus knows all this. He knows who he's about to be sent to, the one who killed his cousin, the one that killed the one that prepared the way for this ministry to to start. And so this is Herod. And so now Herod was overjoyed when he saw Jesus, for he had wanted to see him for a long time. Why? Because he had been hearing about him and was hoping to see some signs performed by him. See, the story of Jesus was going all over the place. Herod's like, oh, this is the Jesus? This is the guy, that he's like healing people? He's like doing so. Oh man, I hope he comes and does some tricks for me. That's who Herod is. He's the party guy. Come do some party tricks, Jesus. Go ahead and heal somebody. We'll get somebody that needs heal. Let, let's see what you can do. Jesus knows this about Herod. And he's not about to put on a show. And he questioned him. Herod questioned Jesus at some length, but he offered him no answers at all. Jesus stayed quiet the entire time. Now the chief priests and the scribes stood there vehemently charging him. I mean, they're yelling and screaming and saying, no, you know, get rid of him. And Herod, together with the soldiers, well, they treated him with contempt. Brightly shining robe and sent him back to Pilate. So because he wouldn't perform, they're like, nah, this is Jesus, he can't do anything. Ah, he's your king. They put a big robe around him, presenting him as if he is a king, not realizing what they were doing was actually presenting the king. They did it out of mockery and contempt. But what they didn't understand as they were dressing the king. And Herod said, I can't do anything with this guy. He's not even talking to me. And this crowd is getting louder and bigger. Back to Pilate you go. Pilate thinks he's done. <laughs> Woo! 
Wash my hands of that thing. I don't have to deal with it. Nope, nope. Here comes Jesus again. Are you seeing the pathway here? He's been through five trials, and there's been no guilty verdict. Five trials, politically and religiously. They have actually nothing against him. They can't try him. They can't judge him. There's nothing. We know, hindsight, he is the perfect son of God. There is no sin in him. He became, in that moment, the perfect lamb of God who John the Baptist proclaimed when he saw him. There he is, the, the lamb of God who has come to take away the sins of us all. And that's who Jesus is. I, I tell you what, if I had to go through like five trials, they're going to find something on me. They'll probably find something on you because we're not perfect. We all have sinned. But Jesus, they have nothing on him. So back to Pilate, he goes. This is an interesting point. And so Herod and Pilate became friends with one another that very day. For previously, they had been enemies toward each other. <laughs> what? So before, like Herod and Pilate, they didn't like each other. So Pilate's actually probably doing this in spite, like, ah, Herod, deal with this one. <laughs> like, that's what he's doing. And he's like, then, then he sends them back. And all of a sudden, now they're buddies. Why are they buddies? It's interesting when two people have a common enemy, they become friends. And both of them have now this, okay, what do we do? And all of a sudden, now they're buddies in leadership. What are they going to do? Now Pilate summoned to himself the chief priests and the rulers and the people. So now the crowd is coming back to Pilate. And he said to them, you brought this man to me on the ground that he has incited the people to revolt. And behold, after examining him before you, I have found no basis at all in the case of this man for the charges which you are bringing against him. He keeps echoing. He's like, guys, what you're saying isn't true. I have nothing on him. Herod has nothing on him. Even in your own court, you can't bring judge. Like, nothing is on this guy. I can't rule in this case. But the crowd just kept getting louder and louder and louder. No, nor has Herod, for he sent him back to us, and behold, nothing deserving death has been done by him. Therefore, I will punish him and I will release him. That's Pilate's verdict. He didn't even deserve punishment, though, did he? He's like, I can't, we can't find anything. He's trying to appease the crowd. Like, would you all just settle down? I tell you what I'll do. I'll at least punish him. We'll, we'll take him and we'll flog him, okay? And flogging was not fun. There were like three different levels of flogging, okay? One was bad. One was really, really bad. And the last one was, it'll probably kill you flogging, okay? And it would be these leather straps with glass and broken things. And they would whip you on the back. And every time they would pull it back, it would rip a little bit of flesh off meaning now you're scarred for life from that experience. He said, I will go and we'll at least punish him. We'll put some scars on him to remind him to never do this again and send him away. He's like, at least I'm going to punish him. You think the crowds were happy with that? No, they had an end goal in mind. Now he was obligated to release to them at the feast one prisoner. And this was a tradition. I, you know, I didn't study this whole part of the tradition of what happened at Passover during this time, but this is what it says. It says at Passover, they could free one person that wouldn't have to go to the penalty, right? And uh, I don't know if they did it just like ceremonial, just to represent like, see, we're, we've been set free from God or what. You know, I, I don't know why they did that, but here they are. And Jesus is not up on by himself. There's another person who is up there. But they cried all together, saying, Away with this man, Jesus, and release to us Barabbas. 
Give us Barabbas. Free Barabbas, but get, get Jesus out of here. See, Barabbas was the one who had been thrown into prison for a revolt that took place in the city and for murder. What are the two things I said? Revolt and murder. This guy was guilty on all charges. Barabbas was a bad man. And in this, Barabbas was on in court and was going to get what he deserved, which was crucifixion. It was the life sentence for this guy. To be seen by everyone when they walked in, this guy was a murderer and is revolted against Rome. So anybody that came in would be scared to death, like, I'm not going to do those things because I don't want to be there. Oh my gosh, what a painful, gruesome way to die. And here's Barabbas. There, the murderer. Take Jesus. Take Jesus. But Pilate, wanting to release Jesus, addressed them again. He said, but they kept on crying out, saying, crucify, crucify him. And he said to them a third time, why? What has this man done wrong? I have found in his case no ground for a sentence of death. Therefore, I will punish him and release him. He keeps coming back like, what, what are you saying? I find in the court of law in Rome no cause whatsoever to do anything to this guy. And yet here they are. Barabbas, Jesus, give us Barabbas. Get rid of Jesus. Talk about a tense moment. But they were so insistent with loud voices demanding that he be crucified and their voices began to prevail. And then it turns. And so Pilate decided to have their demand carried out. And he released the man for whom they were asking, who had been thrown into prison for a revolt and murder. But he handed Jesus over to their will. Man. I do not want to be Pilate in this story. He was stuck. He released the murderer the leader of revolt back down to the Jews and they celebrated they took Jesus and started the process to the cross who was innocent in the court of law in the court of Rome in the court of Sanhedrin no cause for him to take that path I need you to hear and understand something at any point in this experience, Jesus could have stopped it all. Any moment of it. And we know he didn't for a reason because we go back to the garden. As he was praying to his heavenly father, this is where we see him fully God and fully man, that he prays to his heavenly father, saying, I know what I'm about to do. If there's any way this cup can be taken from me, God, if I don't have to go through this, do you know how many times Jesus walked in front leading into Jerusalem those guys who were already hanging on the cross and looking at them knowing where he was going to be? God, if there's any way, take this away from me. Yet not my will, let your will be done. He could have stopped it at any moment. He chose to not. He chose to be led to the cross. Now, when we get into this story, 
We need to understand who we are in this story. I need to know who I am in this story. I am Barabbas. I'm the one who's guilty. I'm the one in the, in the court of heaven who's imperfect and who has sinned. And Jesus knows it. And he knew what it was going to cost. I want us to take some time to respond this morning. And, and I'm going to let somebody else preach better than me because there's a video we're going to watch here. And, and it's, it's a fairly long video, but it's, a, it's from a pastor. His name is Judah Smith, and he preached this message about Barabbas. And as we listen, I just want you to listen. I want you to put you yourself in that seat in that moment with Jesus and and let God just speak to you. Let's go ahead and watch this. see the story of Jesus going to the cross and everything seems to kind of be hand in hand and then there's this one character that seems to interrupt the narrative. His name's Barabbas. We don't even know much about him except that he's a murderer, a leader of an insurrection, a rebel and why he's even mentioned, sometimes I'm not so sure. It's like, what? Let's, this is about Jesus going to the cross. So in this moment, Pilate thinks, I hold the destinies of these two men in my hand. I know the Jews have a tradition that on a holy day, I will release one of the prisoners on death row. Pilate stands on this audacious stage who now presents Jesus, son of the living God, versus Barabbas, the thug and rebel. He says, all right, who do you want? This is blasphemy. This is, this has gone too far. There's no comparison. This is a rightful prisoner, a man who should be on death row. He's a rebel against Rome. He leads a rebellion. He murders people. He's a bad man. He's a thug and he's a crook. He deserves the chains and he deserves the crucifixion. Jesus, what has he done but heal, restore, deliver, set free? Open blind eyes, open deaf ears, heal the lame and the leper. What, what has Jesus done? Who do you want? We, we want Barabbas. Yeah, give us Barabbas. They give us Barabbas. The Roman soldiers come up and they put the key in and they unlock Barabbas from his chains and shackles. And he walks down the platform, welcomed by all of his thug friends. Yeah, the people love me. Yeah, that's right. I don't even know who this Jesus guy is, but all I know is my people love me. There seems to be no conscience in Barabbas. There's no record of him turning to Jesus and saying, I owe you everything now, for you have set me free. No, I don't see any of that in Barabbas. God knew that. Jesus stood there, silent. Father, he said, it's fine, Father. Let him have Barabbas. For Jesus knew that the Father would have to treat Jesus like
like Barabbas so he could treat Barabbas like Jesus. Barabbas thought it was the people that set him free. No, 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 no. It was the love of the Heavenly Father. When I look at the story, I realize who Barabbas really is. That's me. That's you. That's us. And I thought I was reading this the other day, and I felt God speak to me. I love Barabbas. I love him. But God, he's bad, man. I love him. And I wanted him to go free. But didn't you know that he probably would have never acknowledged the free gift? Yeah, but I love Barabbas. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God sent his son for Barabbas. Even the one he knew would walk away from Jesus and his free gift and never come back. He loves them. And the nerve to call the audacity of believers to think, I got saved by grace, but now that I'm in this deep, dark place of bondage, I'm going to work hard to get myself out. What? That's the opposite of the gospel. Are you bound? Are you held under the power of this temptation, this sin, the sexual urges? Do you feel like it's controlling you? What are you going to do? I'm going to shake myself free. Stop it. No, you won't. You're no match for the powers of hell and the urges of sin and sexual temptation. You will not overcome it and you will never overcome it. You'll just be another statistic. There's no answer within yourself. Your own marriage, your own goodness, your own discipline, your own devotion will not save your marriage and will not save your kids. There's only one. And he's the one that took your place. He's the one that stood silently on the platform with Pilate and said, yes, let him have Barabbas. Take me. How many times have I stood on that platform with Pilate and Jesus and I'm the Barabbas and they start to take my chains off and I say, no, no, I deserve this. I deserve the guilt. I deserve the shame. I deserve the consequence. I deserve it. Jesus seems to look at me and say, no, son, let me have it. Let me have your sin. Let me have your pain. No, God, I did it to myself. I deserve it. My marriage won't make it. This is what I deserve. I deserve divorce. I deserve poverty. I deserve sickness. I deserve it all. No. God, I say, I'm so ashamed. Give me your shame. But God, what if I do it again? I'll still be here. Oh God, I don't want to hurt you. I love you. I, I don't want to do this anymore. Give me your sins, son. This is all we got. It's all I got. It's all you got. We can play games. We can play church games. 
We can pretend like some people are better than others and that's why they're blessed or we can all come to the honest conclusion that it's God and it's God alone. The greatest challenge is not your discipline, your devotion, your focus. Your greatest challenge is believing the gospel. Could it be that there's a God with a love so scandalous, so wide, so deep, so vast, so high, so expansive, so welcoming, so inclusive? Let me have your sin, son. Okay. And I give him my sin. I stand in this empty space of forgiveness and acceptance while Jesus walks off to the cross that I deserve. I see him, I see him walking to the post to be whipped. As I stand a free man, all the attention is turned now. And I feel the love of God saying, go son, live your life. I'll pay the price. Where did we get off thinking that we were going to set ourselves free? It's still Jesus. It'll always be Jesus. It'll never stop being the power of Jesus. If his blood is sufficient for your salvation, his blood is sufficient to sustain you through every challenge and every sin and every temptation. Jesus is enough. Thank you for being enough, Jesus. God, that we are Barabbas. We're the one that when Jesus was led to the cross, our chains were broken. Slavery to sin, we were set free. That it is by his wounds that we find healing. It's by his blood that we find forgiveness. The perfect... Lamb of God, once and for all, body broken and bloodshed for me. God, thank you for this reminder. And today, as we take time to respond, fill our hearts with an immense amount of thankfulness. Because without Jesus, we have nothing. We're going to respond, church, and we're going to let God just continue to challenge our hearts to understand the weight of the cross and what Christ chose to do for us. In Isaiah, the prophet wrote, as was fulfilled by Jesus, in Isaiah 53, surely he, Jesus, took up our pain and bore our suffering. Should have been us. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him, on Jesus, the iniquity of us all. That's what happened on the cross. We are Barabbas. We're set free while our Savior takes it all for us. On the cross and today, we're going to sing. We're going to sing a song in a moment.
We're going to respond. There's tables around the, ta- around the room, just like we do for communion. These tables are set up, and, and there's pictures on the table. One is Christ on the cross. It's the picture and reminder of what he did for us. And the other side says, I am Barabbas. It's that understanding in the story of what Christ has done for me. I am Barabbas in the story. I'm the one who got set free. And I just want everybody to take your Connect card right now. Go ahead and pull that out real quick because that's what you're going to write something on this morning. And, and I want you to write whatever is said in your heart to write, but one thing I want you to write on that card is I just want you to write, thank you, Jesus. I want you to write, thank you, Jesus. In a moment while we sing, I want you to go to one of these tables and put it in the basket and say, thank you, Jesus. Do it as an act of thankfulness and worship. And, uh, and some of you may want to write, on, maybe you want to write, please forgive me. Maybe there's those things you're like, God, I... I take for granted this, and I know I'm choosing to sin in certain areas. Please forgive me. And the good news is, he's already done it. He's already paid for your forgiveness, and he already forgives you. But maybe you need to write that today. We're going to have some of the prayer team available, and some up here, some in the back. And if you want somebody to pray with you, maybe you have something, you're like, you know what? I, I just need somebody to pray with me. And they are there to do that. They're not there to counsel you or to give you answers. They, you can just share, this is what you can pray for. And they're just going to lift that up to God. They're going to pray with you, okay? And if today, maybe you don't know this Jesus, and you want to know him, and you want to invite him into your life <laughs> for what he's done for you, all it takes is you, by faith, believing Jesus did this for you and confessing it to him and inviting him in. And one of the prayer team members, I would encourage you if that's you today, I want you to go to one of those prayer team members and say, I need Jesus today. And they will pray with you right there. And so we're going to take time to do that. You're going to go as you feel led, right? There's no get up in your rows or whatever. Just go where and as you feel led to do that as we take time to respond and let God speak to us. So would you pray with me as we head to that way? God, thank you for this reminder this morning. Oh man, it's, it strikes my heart so deep. And every time, God, every time I watch that video, every time I hear the words, every time, it just hits me. Thank you, thank you, thank you, God, for saving me. Thank you for choosing me. Thank you for choosing us, wanting to be with us. And loving us so much that you sent your one and only son to die on the cross to pay for our sins. And next week we get to celebrate he didn't stay dead. He rose again and we can live a new life just as Christ is alive today. Lead us in this time of response in Christ's name. Amen.